Hi, and welcome to Help Them Bloom, a podcast for conscious parents. All right, parents, raising children is no small job. And how you choose to raise your child during their first years impacts so much of their self-worth and how they'll navigate life. As a child and parenting expert, I'm here on a mission to help you parent intentionally through the messiest of your moments and in a way that feels good to you. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode. I have somebody with me who is a wealth of knowledge. She's also a friend of mine. She's an occupational therapist for kids, pediatric. Her name is Natalie Goldstein. She's also the founder of Rise, her company, which provides services for children in schools and homes. Sensory integration is her passion, as she's found it extremely helpful in all of her cases even in those who are getting services for other conditions or difficulties. I know that not a lot of you may be familiar with the word sensory integration or the term. So we're going to break it down for you and why it's actually something that we all have and should know about. Nat, thanks so much for being here with me today. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. I've been really excited to have you on here for a while. You and I have worked together in the past. We've done workshops together. And I think that you bring in such a helpful piece to understanding the brain and the body. And the more that I see parents and the more that I have cases, you know, with kids or hear parents talk about their kids, the more I find myself actually referring lots and lots of kids for OT evaluations uh, when parents don't even, you know, they've never even kind of thought of the sensory system in, in you know, regular, my child is, has a lot of wild energy or they're having lots of meltdowns or they're having a hard time regulating their feelings or lots of other things. But talk to us about why this is something that every person has. Like, why do parents need to know about OT and sensory integration and all this? Okay. So, um, I'm so glad you bring that up because when people hear sensory right away, they think, Oh, my child is totally fine. He can tolerate touching sand. He doesn't mind getting dirty and he doesn't mind water. So no sensory issues like to the next. So we actually have so many more sensory systems than that. Mm -hmm. And every human has some sort of sensory preferences, things they're more sensitive to, less sensitive to, um, and things that we use to regulate our body, just like how we regulate it emotionally, which is like something you're super big on. We also have to regulate it neurologically speaking, which is everything else. Can you tell us what what are the sensory systems? Just break it down for us. So there's tactile, which most people are familiar with. There's auditory, which is everything we hear. There is visual, which is everything we see. And then there is vestibular, which is uh, kind of like an unknown sensory system, which most people don't know about or are not so aware about. And that's basically anything. It's like in your inner ear and it's basically what keeps us balanced and kind of on ground without feeling that we're floating and unstable all the time. Mm -hmm. And then there's proprioceptive, which is basically anything that causes force upon our body from something else. So crashing into things, big hugs. So any like input into our body, squeezes, massages, all those things are our proprioceptive system. Mm-hmm. And those two are the most underlooked senses, which is why people think, oh, if I can touch and see and hear noises, then I'm fine, then I'm fine. But those kids that, you know, are always jumping on us and needing those big hugs 
and needing, you know, those constant moments of just crashing into another force. A lot of the times that is them requiring more proprioceptive input than the one they're getting. They're not always just looking for that hug just for affection. It could be a component to it, but sometimes it's more than that. So just asking your child, like, Hey, buddy, I know you love me, but you need to stop hugging me. I want you guys to start thinking about it differently because it might not just be about the hug, but the input they're getting from that hug. Yeah. And so speak to us about how a lot of times misbehavior is actually misunderstood because this is something I'm really big on when I work with parents is really looking beyond just the behavior as the child being manipulative or malicious or misbehaving. Yes. So I actually think this was a big part of our workshop last time that we did together that, you know, in schools and just generally speaking, and I don't think it comes from a bad place, but people automatically assume that a child who's misbehaving, it's a behavioral thing right away. And there are a lot of things to look into, which first of all, you know, kids are kids. And sometimes they do things just because they're not their brain isn't developed fully to kind of know right and wrong and they're impulsive and that's normal. But there's also a big component where sensory kicks in. So when there's a sensory difficulty or they're not regulated, their thinking brain is not active. Mm -hmm. They're basically seeking this input that it's beyond their control. So they might do things that look like they're misbehaving, maybe hitting a sibling or maybe crushing into another a kid at school or biting or putting things in their mouth, all these things that if you don't know about this, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. this kid is, uh, you know, th- he's having behavioral problems. Mm-hmm. And these behavioral problems, they are behavioral actions, but they're not coming from a place of wanting to misbehave. It's coming from further in. It's a body, it's, it's a physiological need that they have at that moment. Yeah. And we all have this, right? Like we all have Like, can you speak to the fact that this doesn't mean that your child has to have like a disorder, like a sensory disorder? Yes. So we all have sensory preferences and sensory difficulties to different levels, right? So I'll give examples for adults that maybe, you know, people listening in here will be able to kind of understand more and and kind of be like, oh, I do that, you know? Mm -hmm. So people that chew pens when they're working or shake their leg or just you know, when they're on a phone call, they need to pace around the room or wherever they walk miles on the phone. Um, you play with your hair, um, you know, you work out heavy weights, you, you know, you like deep tissue massages, like really intensely. So all those things are sensory preferences and it depends on your type of sensory system. Every person has different buckets for different sensory systems. So the fact that you really crave like that deep, intense proprioceptive input does not mean that you also crave deep visual stimulation. So you Mm -hmm. can have a very small bucket, let's call it that way for your visual, but your proprioceptive could be really big. And it goes the same way for children. We as adults have learned to regulate and to know what our body needs. Some children need a little more help than others figuring that out. And some just have a really big bucket. And unless you kind of know about it and you try to fill that bucket in, or guide them to fill that bucket in for them, then that's when you're seeing a lot of these misbehaviors and issues in school or at home and that kind of stuff. Can you just explain for a minute the bucket a little bit more deeply? Like when you say big bucket and small bucket, so people know what you mean by that. Yes. So a big bucket would mean you need a lot of this input to fill the bucket in. Um, So there's two components, right? The bucket can be either 
to empty, which basically, you know, if you need to fill a bucket to a line, let's say mm-hmm. you're filling a bucket and it says fill up to here. And that's mm-hmm. like the ideal place where the bucket needs to be full. Less than that, they're going to constantly be seeking more of it. And if it's overflowing, they're going to shut down because it's too much. Mm -hmm. So there is like a sweet spot. Um, It's obviously not as precise as a fill of a bucket. It's not like an extra drop is going to cause a big thing. But if it's overflowing, you're going to see usual shutdowns or meltdowns that kind of come out of nowhere in your eyes. So you'll suddenly see a kid who's playing, jumping, going and standing in the playground. And suddenly they'll just like, throw themselves on the floor and have a meltdown or go shut down in a corner. And you're like, I don't understand. He was just having the time of his life 30 seconds ago. What happened? So that could have happened. There is, even if you have a huge bucket, there is an ability to overflow. And usually that overflow will present itself in a meltdown that's kind of uncalled for. Mm. So it's not a tantrum. It didn't have like a behavioral... A a trigger that maybe you could identify. you could identify and then or a lot of kids just will shut down and like will come and just sit next to you and not talk and not move and just be kind of really upset and you you know your reaction is gonna be like hey buddy what happened what happened what's up what's wrong what happened and and they just are not there to respond or to really have that conversation they their body kind of needs a minute to reset and regroup Mm -hmm. yeah that's really and then small bucket is the opposite and the small bucket is, is the opposite so you know those kids that maybe um, you know, get to a birthday party that they're so excited about and they'll go in and within three minutes they want to leave and they'll just like attach themselves to your leg and they just don't want to go. And, you know, once again, hair and normal reaction. Hey, look how fun it is. Your mm-hmm. friends are having the best time. Look how fun it looks. So that could be a, a child who has either very small bucket visually or maybe the auditory bucket is very small. And, you know, they come into this party that they've been so excited about and there's just so much going on. There's you know, kids screaming and music and whatever. And that could have just been too much for them. Mm-hmm. And the bucket overflows so quickly that they just go into shutdown mode and they're basically like, they want to fly. They, they want to be gone. Like they're, it's just too much for them. So that's another opportunity where you could be like, oh, my child usually likes birthday parties and you want, we want them to enjoy and have a good time. So we kind of push them to keep going to the party. And what they need is exactly the opposite. It might be like, Let's go outside, take a break. Mm-hmm. Let's calm our body. And then you can try again in a few minutes or when you notice that your child is calm. But that could have been a, an overflown mm-hmm. moment because the bucket is so small. It just fills up so quickly. Those are the two ends of the spectrum. The two ends of the spectrum. When you talk about integration, sensory integration and, and helping them learn to integrate all of this, can you explain what what that looks like. It's like a balance, right? It's like their bodies organized. Exactly. So it's a little bit of trial and error mixed with some tools that the child needs to have mm-hmm. and the parents need to have or any caregiver that spends a significant amount of time with these children. So at the beginning, it's kind of you learning their sensory system and what what works for them, what doesn't work for them, what calms them, what alerts them. And once that happens, basically you you along with an occupational therapist or you know depending on your level of comfort level with with the whole sensory thing who's going to be guiding this process and kind of like helping you help your child Mm -hmm. so it's like you said it's like a per it's like a perfect balance where you don't need to have too much input of something too little of something so basically it's called regulated because the Mm -hmm. all the sensory systems are kind of ideally need to be at a level where your body is open for learning, for growing, for 
you know, sleeping and all the other things that happen when your body's regulated. Yeah. Something that I tend to tell my families I work with are like, I, I kind of have them imagine a pyramid and I tell them like, the very bottom is actually the body and the sensory system, right? Like if that, if your body, and if you think about this yourself, like when your body feels like it's an overwhelm or overdrive or too much, right? Or even it could be something like for a kid, I imagine like could also be like they're too tired, too hungry, like that they're just off, completely off balance. We can't then move on to the next level and expect regulation on an emotional scale. And then we, if we don't have those two, we can't really expect them to be using their executive functioning skills really and really organizing their their reasoning, right? So I, I like to think of the body, the brain and the body and the nervous system as really the foundation to all of this. Would you agree? That is a hundred percent true. I do think that um, you know, it comes basically food, water, sleep, mm-hmm. and then your nervous system pretty mm-hmm. close to that. Um, you know, if you think about any situation like you were saying, you know, even if you have like a annoying like rock in your shoe and mm-hmm. you're trying to take a test or focus in like a meeting or something, it's so hard because our brain can really just focus in one thing at a time. And this is, by the way, not something children are aware of, right? So it's not going to be like the kids in the playground and be like, oh, my vestibular system is overflowing. So I must stop. Like they don't know what's going on. All they feel is a very yucky feeling Mm -hmm. in their body that they have no control over. And it's almost like the body working on like autopilot. Like they don't have control over this. They feel just really unsafe and uneasy and just a feeling they want to get rid of right away. And you hear this even from little, little kids. I hear, you know, I talk to parents and they say, my kid sometimes tells me I can't control it. Like I want to do something different, but I just, my body can't control it. And I believe them. It's true, right? This isn't something that they're choosing to do or not. This is the way that they are. hundred percent. And I think that's like a a great situation where you have a young kid who's aware, Mm -hmm. not of what's happening, but the fact that they can control it. Because a lot of kids don't even have that much. That that much awareness. That's a big step. So how would you recommend that parents start to get to know their children's kind of buckets or their sensory preferences? Like how do they, how would they start to kind of look at that? think step one, I don't know who's familiar with the book Good Inside, but I do truly, truly believe that children are good inside and mm-hmm. they have good in them. And I think unless there's like a very specific, you know, mental illness or something like that, 99% of children are good inside. Yeah. And especially young ones under the age of, you know, five or six, their behavior really comes from somewhere. So I think the first thing that I would tell parents to look at is just look with a different glass, yeah. right? And not just assume right away, like, oh, my child is misbehaving. Like, it's like, what is causing my child to act this way? That doesn't mean their action isn't appropriate or you would want to change it. Like, by yeah. no means, we do want to change these undesirable, you know, behaviors. Yeah. But doesn't mean that they're doing it for the sake of giving you a hard time or or giving the teacher a hard time or whatever it is. So it's like what you're saying in the beginning, like, let's look a step deeper, and try to see what's causing these behaviors. And if you really pay attention now with a little bit of knowledge, I think that we know our kids really well and you'll be able to determine pretty quickly, I would say within a week, what exactly triggers your child, 
what exactly calms your child. Like if you really pay attention and, you know, you put them in a swing and you're like, wow, he's so calm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, there you go. Swinging is good for them. You know, so you'll be able to identify a few things that are really triggers and things that are really calming and buckets that are kind of bigger, you know, for those kids that are always on the go and, you know, you, they do four hours of sports camp and then they get home and they want to keep doing things mm -hmm. or they're, you know, you do a tent and they want to break it or, you know, they do a, you, you spent an hour with your other child doing a tower and they come and knock it down. Like those kids need proprioceptive input. So mm. it's just knowing, but you'll be able to kind of pinpoint what exactly it is. And then with that help, you can, you know, contact uh, an occupational therapist or do a little bit of research and you'll find activities and things that you can do to get your child to a better, like optimal space. So it doesn't mean just because they're active that they need occupational therapy, right. but knowing your child's sensory system and knowing what helps them and what, you know, triggers them, it's just going to be so beneficial just for like the whole family dynamic and for you able to deal with them and know when is appropriate to speak to them about something important when they're listening and when they're just not listening. So it yeah. doesn't need to be a difficulty or a disorder or a condition for you to benefit from knowing about their sensory system, what helps them and what is too much for them to handle. So you can have a better relationship with them and know how to help them also when they need it. That's great. I, I also want to bring up two points there. One is the idea that you talked about what calms them. I think that's just equally as important as understanding their triggers. You know, when, when we talk about regulating your kids, you got to understand what regulates your child and what regulates your child may not be what regulates another child. Like the the example I always think about, and Nat, maybe you could give us some more examples, is there are the kids who are, when they're very upset or are having, you know, a tantrum or a meltdown, or they will melt into you if you give them a giant hug and like th that like resets them. Ah, oh, they feel so safe. And there are kids who, oh my goodness, this triggers them so much more and they don't want to be touched like that or grabbed like that in that moment. And I, I noticed that about my own daughter when sh she would do like this push-pull thing where she was like initially did not want me touching her or on her, but wanted me just near enough. She also didn't like it if I just like walked away, right? Like just near enough until she was calm enough and then actually came and, and like accepted it. But maybe you could give other examples or do you agree that like they all have different different ways of regulating and we kind of have to understand what helps them during the the storm? Yes. So definitely I would say I don't think they, there's two children that their sensory system works exactly the same. Mm -hmm. So even if they're siblings, identical twins, it doesn't matter. Chances are they will be very different in how they manage their sensory information that's constantly coming in. A big thing about calming them is because, you know, children do have tantrums and meltdowns. It's age appropriate and it's part yeah. of life. But I do think, um, you know, the point that you made is like, if we know what works for them and what's better for their body and what's calming, these moments will last a lot less and they mm -hmm. maybe even happen less often if we know how to deal it appropriately. And obviously as a parent, your first instinct is like, my child is upset. I'm going to grab him and give him a big yeah. hug. And that might be the worst thing you can mm -hmm. do for your child in that moment. So it's once again, learning your child and now looking from a different, from a different angle and being like, oh, and he's upset you know, I've noticed that he always goes into this little tent in his room and just cur curls mm -hmm. up in a ball. So if that's kind of what they're doing, let them be. I do think, like you said, it's very important to kind of be there because what they need emotionally might be very different than what they 
physically need. Mm-hmm. So like in the example of your daughter, I think emotionally she needed you there because we are yeah. their safety, but she couldn't handle her body being touched. Yeah. And I would, and what I would do is I would name that, right? So I would be like, you want space for me right now. You know, I'm still here when you're ready. I'm ready to hug you when, whenever you're, you feel like it. Like, so what I would do is I would just kind of describe what I'm seeing her need physically and also emotionally, like you said, still here to support her. So every child is kind of different in that way. I have a question if like one thing that I know tends to be helpful around kids, but tell me if you think that there are kids this doesn't apply for is when they are having a meltdown. And I know meltdown is like really a state of overwhelm in the body, right? It's too much. Everything's too much, too flooded. I always like, like if this is like in a public place, let's say, I always feel like taking them out of the spotlight of like the middle of the supermarket, the restaurant, the movie, whatever it is, taking them out outside where there's, you know, space and and less, less stimulation and less spotlight is a good idea. But I don't know if that, if that's something that works for every kid, but would you recommend the same thing? Yes. So I definitely think you know, when they're in a situation, usually either like that there's already a moment of overflown, I mm-hmm. would definitely take them out of that situation because it could totally be something in that environment that's causing it. So mm-hmm. if it's you know, loud noise, the loud noise is still there. Or if it's too many people or whatever the situation may be, you definitely want to take them out of that, just like a birthday party. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't force my child to stay at a birthday party upset and be like, oh, go, go, go. It's so fun. I would mm-hmm. be like, let's step outside of this uncomfortable situation that's not happening for you right now. Let's take a moment and then we can go back in. Mm -hmm. The only thing I would do is once you know your child, you kind of will know if you need to physically grab them and take them out. Or if it's going to be more of a thing, let's step outside because maybe they do want to leave the the situation, but they don't want to be touched. So I would kind of give them, also depends on the age. If it's a two-year-old, I would probably just grab it, take him out and then give them the space they need. But if it's a child who's maybe five or six or even seven, who kind of has a little bit more of an understanding, you know, I would say this is really upsetting for you right now, or this moment is really hard for your body. Why don't we go outside for a second? Mm -hmm. Do you want me to take you or do you want me to hold your hand or just maybe give two options that Mm -hmm. are keeping in mind that their body's going through something and grabbing them and picking them up might be really intense for that moment. So maybe they would prefer to just hold your hand. Yeah. And something I'm hearing you say, you know, and I'm a proponent of it too, is, or hearing you, what you're not saying is you're not saying, okay, your kid has a hard time at birthday parties. They're very loud, overwhelming, lots of movement, lots of stuff happening just stop going to birthday parties. That's not what you're saying, right? You're saying, let's adjust based on what we can. Because if you are like, okay, let's never ever go to a birthday party. I don't know how they're going to adapt to things socially, for example, that they might need to. So I'm sure there are situations where you do want to avoid if something is too much. And, And obviously there's different people on different ends of the spectrum, right? Uh, that that experience this where it's much more severe. But if it's manageable or if you could do like, let's take breaks or let's let's find or help I- them identify when their body no longer feels good or safe or now it's getting too wild or that seems like a better option than just avoiding. Yes, 100%. So with sensory things, I don't call it, and, and, and you know, even like they changed the name, it's not a sensory, it's not a disorder anymore. It's a condition because it's not a disorder. It's not something that is 
cured or not cured is just something that our bodies just work differently okay. and we learn to to deal with it and we learn to cope with it so mm-hmm. you know the, the the goal here is for your child to understand their body and how it works and to be able to label the feeling they're feeling with the body and have tools to use on what to do so let's use the birthday party which i think you know it's it's a very good example because most kids are invited to birthday parties and I think it's a common denominator sometimes where children have a hard time and parents are like, I don't understand. Like all their friends are here. It's so fun. Why are they sitting next to me like holding for dear life? So at a birthday party, a child who's having a hard time might need to take a break outside. Maybe, you know, if the party's inside, go outside for a little bit for a few minutes and then come back in and that might be enough for them. Um, but once again, the goal would be for your child to come and say, I need a break. Yeah. Or even need to leave is okay. What I'm really saying is just, you know, maybe not going to the other extreme where you're just like, I know that my child has a hard time dealing with these things. I We're never going to do them. No, I definitely think that's not a good thing because once again, you're really just putting a Band-Aid and you're not letting mm-hmm. their body learn how to cope with things. And once you start eliminating one thing, you're going to find yourself very quickly eliminating yeah. a lot of situations, which at the end of the day, it doesn't mean that your child doesn't enjoy a birthday party. It just might be that your child maybe is not the kid who will go from beginning to end for four hours. Maybe yeah. your child will thrive and do amazing and have the best time for two hours, or right. maybe they go take a break, sit next to you, have a snack for 30 minutes and go back in. So I wouldn't avoid the situations unless once again, you know, you're saying like a severe case, but in a severe case, you would definitely be looking for further help and, you know, dealing with a therapist and, and, and that will also get better. So this is not something that you get cured or fixed. It's just something that you learn to cope with and live with with and and regulate. Okay. That's a really good Uh, I think that was really good information for everybody. So it's not something that you're trying to cure. It's something you're learning to cope with. Do your sensory preferences change throughout the lifespan? Like when you're kids and when you do grow out of things, for example, or do buckets change? So the buckets don't really change. I I would say like, you know, generally speaking, you learn to cope with them better and you you don't become so sensitive to the levels as much, hmm. you know, because you do desensitize some of it. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, children that have a lot of issues with, you know, clothing and whatever, yeah. like, unless, once again, it's very severe, but they kind of outgrow it because your skin also desensitizes as time mm. goes on. So you become less sensitive to those things, but not really in the sense that if you had a big bucket for proprioceptive and you were like a, monkey when you were growing up, you know, you're going to turn 18 and be super sedentary and not like, like that doesn't right. happen. So they right. don't really change, but you do outgrow certain things and you do, the, your body does desensitize to a certain level. Yeah. Certain Especially well. with like exposure and you growing. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And that's exactly what I was thinking of. Like the clothing, my daughter couldn't, the socks with the seam, the seam yes. had to be like so perfect in the front and it would cause major meltdowns. And this is for years, but now she's outgrown it. So, so I guess she's, her body's just kind of learned to adapt to it too. Exactly. Okay. One more point I wanted to bring up before we wrap up, which is, I also feel like just as it's so important to take note of your child's sensory system for all the reason and their preferences for all the reasons we named in this episode, I feel like it's just as important to take a look at our own and how we are triggered by a lot of the things that our kids do. I don't know. 
A hundred percent. And this is what, you know, I kind of was saying at the beginning that this is not just a child issue. Mm. We obviously look at children because we're always constantly being like, are they okay? Is this normal? Is this weird? Is this a behavior? But if you take a day of your life and you just notice how triggered you get when somebody is screaming across the room, like, Hey, can you bring me water? Mm -hmm. Or whatever the situation is. If that really triggers you, like keep an eye and check if, auditory sensory preference is a little sensitive or if you're the person who's you know doing super heavy lifting and 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 you're always kind of you know doing just like lifting heavy things and require a deep tissue massage and like you feel your body getting achy and weird and kind of uneven when when these things don't happen mm-hmm. that's that's a sensory preference also and and you know when when we have kids and you know we are let's say avoiders and we have this child who is really into the hugging and the whatever, and we are the opposite. Imagine how triggering that mm-hmm. is for our body, mm-hmm. you know, and we might, and it's a really hard dynamic because we here we have a kid who really needs this hugging and kissing and being on top of you. And your personal preference is the opposite of that. So knowing that I think helps you realize that you could get your child to fulfill their bucket differently now that you know this, because there are other things that you can do besides hugging them. You can squeeze them. You can put, you know, beanbags on top of them or pillows, and they will still get kind of that fulfillment without triggering your own sensory system. Yeah. And that would still feel connecting to them, right? Like you're still having fun and, and bonding with them. Yeah. You see, that's, I always have thought about that. That's such a good point. And it's like, not even just, it's so complicated because it's not even just you and your kid. If you have a family of multiple kids or multiple people, it's like everybody's sensory preferences playing into everybody else's sensory preferences, including between siblings. Like there's so much that can go on, right? There's so so much. Yeah. You know, so like I have literally families that I'll recommend, you know, one of the kids basically just wears headphones around the house because it's, auditory system is so sensitive and there's six siblings and you know you also have to kind of be aware with reality like six children in a house will be loud right and if the child can't really handle it then we have to find so this is where you know the there's tools to cope and then there's certain times that we'll just have to kind of like bring in certain you know compensating techniques because at the end of the day it's real life and you can't just sell your child or send them to another (laughs) home because they're sensitive to noise. And you also can't expect six children to not talk around the house. Yeah. And we also like, this is also our work that like we maybe never worked on, right? Like our own sensitivities. So like the auditory one, for example, that is very personal to me. I... I get very sensitive around the loud TVs and loud chewing and people screaming and like all this stuff, right? And um, is there anything you could do as a parent for that? Because that is, that's a big part of parenting is loudness, I feel like. Yes. So I do think that it's a very tricky one Mm -hmm. because like I said, children are loud and, you know, we're surrounded by things that they like that are loud, generally speaking, like TVs and iPads and you know, they play outside, they play sports, they play whatever. So we're surrounded by these loud moments. And I think just being aware that it's something that you're sensitive to. And if you can try to find a place in your house or something that you can do that's calming, you know, it could be some white noise or some, you Mm -hmm. know, relaxing music, or maybe just like turning on the faucet or the shower Mm -hmm. and just being in that moment. Or if you need complete quietness, like just being aware of it. And maybe you need a five minute break inside your car by yourself. So will that help you kind of reset? Yes. Okay. 
So there are, you know, and the time for everybody's different, but Mm -hmm. when you're overwhelmed by a specific sensory system and you kind of like give that system a break, it does help to kind of like tame it down a little bit and not be in that hyper alert mode of I'm going to die right now. My head is about to explode. So it's just being aware of it. I think it's very helpful. Um, you know, if you need to so sometimes wear headphones or if you need to just step outside in your backyard and regroup and collect your mm-hmm. thoughts and your emotions, that's totally fine. And once again, telling your children that you need some quiet because your body's feeling uneasy is such a beautiful way of showing them that it's not just them who have sensory preferences that you do too, and that you're taking care of your own body and respecting your own body. Mm-hmm. And you're really modeling this so they can also see that you do it to yourself. Just like we model good eating and you know healthy habits and all that kind of stuff, we also need to model to them that we have our own sensory preferences and that when we come, become aware of these things being difficult for us, we take that time to kind of take a break. So you're showing them that it's okay and it's not bad if you need to step away from a birthday party or if you need to, you know, like you need the squeezing. So you're showing them this is all good and all sensory needs are accepted and they're okay, just like all emotions are accepted and are okay. We just learn to deal with them and we show them that we do it for ourselves too. That's huge. And and everyone who's followed me along this journey knows I'm a huge proponent of modeling all of this for ourselves, including your own emotion regulation, your own boundaries, right? Like even I can't have anybody on my lap right now. I can't have anybody touching me right now. That's not you not caring or disconnecting from your kids. That's you taking care of yourself, but also modeling this amazing message to them that they also are worth taking care of themselves, right? So I love that message. To end, Nat, do you want to give any additional tools that could help a parent support their kids during anything that you haven't mentioned? Yes. So I definitely think the first step, which I would recommend, is kind of taking a closer look on mm-hmm. what their system looks like and what are their preferences and what is really what goes on in their system. And then from that, I would just try to pick one thing for each just to not drive yourself crazy. Unless once again, you see a lot of issues I would recommend contacting an occupational therapist. Mm -hmm. But if it's just like a few things here and there, I would just pick one thing that like alerts them and, and you find, they find really joyful and one thing that calms them. I think that's a really good place to start because you'll have you know, the the two ends of the spectrum, like you'll be able to fill their bucket that needs the most help, but you will also be able to kind of have the most productive calming down when there's a meltdown or there's, you know, they're upset or anything like that. So remember when emotions kick in, it could also trigger their nervous system. Mm -hmm. So I would, I think that's a really good place to start of like, okay, what do I need to do to fill their biggest bucket? And how do I take care of their smallest bucket? Mm. And how do I work in a moment of needing to calm down. Okay, that's great. So if you guys need extra help or or see a lot of kind of red flags around this, or please don't hesitate to contact an occupational therapist. If you are local and want to contact Natalie, where can they find you? And just tell everybody about your space you're opening up. Oh, yes. So this is a great time to bring it up because I am actually in the process of working into opening a actual location. So it's going to be a little bit more than just providing therapy services. I'm actually opening up a place for after school classes and morning classes for young kids and babies, like a mommy and me type of setting. 
all the classes are really curated and founded with this idea of sensory integration and just more awareness of our body and our emotions and how we tie them together. All classes, the curriculum has been written by professionals, by occupational therapists, physical therapists, music therapists, art therapists. All the classes really have so much, you know, so much into them. They're not just classes for the sake of classes. They really have so much in mind as far as emotional regulation and sensory regulation. We actually have a class that will teach children how to understand their body and see what really helps them, what calms them, what alerts them and all that kind of stuff so they can really understand their body. And and it's a huge step towards them being more self-sufficient and being able to really regulate their own body and being kind of like advocating for themselves. This is exactly what kids need. Oh, I'm so excited about this. And I will um, share once it is open. I'll kind of share all the information about that too. So stay tuned, yes. everybody. Stay Natalie, tuned. thank you. This is like, ugh, you know, this is one of my favorite topics. So I am so appreciative of you sharing all of this knowledge, all of this wisdom with parents on here. I know that it's going to be super helpful for everyone. Thank you so, so much for having me. Like, you know, I'm very passionate about this also. And as many people as we can help and guide. And uh, thank you so much for having me here. Thanks for hanging out with me today. To keep up with the latest episodes, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And to keep up with the latest content and workshop offerings, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You can do this on my website, www hatchandbloom.co. You can also catch me on Instagram at hatchandbloomco. See you soon.